Hi guys! Welcome to yet another episode of Pacific North North Weird. Wow, if I could say my own podcast name, that would be great. Let's try that again. Another episode of Pacific North Weird. There we go. So, little pre-show notes. Um, The pause on the last episode, I totally forgot to uh, edit out. Um, it was, it wasn't that long, so, you know, and we're low budget, I just started doing this, and I totally was just, like, in a hurry to get, like, the episode actually out there, because I'd been talking about it for weeks and just annoying, like, all of my close friends with D.B. Cooper facts, I just kind of, like, shoved the episode out to be done with it, and I really should have, like, edited, but, you know, future me will be more on top of that. And I popped an allergy pill before this one, and I'm feeling less sniffly than last week, so I don't think any gross sounds will happen on this one. Thank you for sticking with me through all of that, because I know that that was pretty rough when I, like, gave it a listen through. So, today I'm gonna tell you a story about a man who became a local legend that terrified an entire community, and a story that still resonates with the pursuit of happiness and freedom in America today. John Turnow was born September 4, 1880, to a a well-respected family living near the Satsup River in Washington. As a child, he would spend hours exploring the wilderness near his home, and eventually ended spending more time with animals than other humans. At 10 years old, he suffered a near-fatal attack of the German measles, otherwise known as rubella, that left him with a lisp. The doctor proclaimed at the time, We have saved his life, but he will be deficient in body or in mind. It's around this time that he began to isolate himself and spend weeks in the woods alone. He would hunt with his gun, and his shooting skills are said to have been legendary. Before turnout reached puberty, it's said he could shoot a snuffbox with a rifle at 100 yards and take down a deer with a single precise shot to the heart. He would occasionally come home, usually bringing meat that he hunted as a gift for his family. Legend says that by the time he was a teenager, most wild animals would approach him unafraid. Which kind of contradicts him being, like, such a good hunter. You think that the animals would be like, this guy's out here killing my friends and family, let's not approach him, but I don't know. He was one with nature. It's also around this time that his family began to become concerned about his mental state. His two brothers worked as loggers and eventually opened up their own business. Tornow worked on and off as a logger, but kept returning to the wilderness. At 6'2", 200 pounds, and dressed in clothing made of animal skins and bark, the general consensus around town was that he was odd for sure, but pretty harmless. By the 20th century, he was living in the woods full-time. He would occasionally appear at the edge of the woods to watch the loggers as they worked. Around, Around this time, he allegedly said to a logger, I'll kill anyone who comes after me. These are my woods. Convinced that he was insane, his brothers captured him and committed him to a sanitarium in Oregon in 1909. A year later, he escaped and returned returned back to his home in the wilderness. For a year, no one saw or heard any sign of turnout. He then started to occasionally visit his sister Minnie, her husband, and their twin twin sons, John and Will Bauer. He taught the twins hunting and fishing skills, and John was named after his uncle. Though he had good times with his sister's side of the family, Turnow never forgave his brothers for having him committed. In August 1911, after returning from a time in the woods, John had an altercation with his brother Ed, who had shot his beloved dog, Cougar. That's such a cute name for a dog. John responded by shooting Ed's dog and said he was going to the woods and nobody had better come after me. 
Ed responded by attempting to have John Turnout declared insane, and a warrant was issued. The sheriff went out to talk to him and returned saying that there was nothing wrong with Turnow, he just wanted to be left alone. Loggers would occasionally spot Turnow moving through the forest and described him often as a large hairy beast. He would appear out of nowhere and then disappear in a flash. Other woodsmen shared stories of sharing campfire and wood with him and even going trapping with him. In September 1911, Turnow shot shot at a cow in a field near his sister's cabin. While he was dressing his kill, a bullet whizzed over his head. Turnow stood up and fired three shots. When he went to examine the scene, he found his twin 19-year-old brothers lying dead, shot to death. John and Will Bauer may have shot at Turnow thinking that he was a bear that had attacked their cow, though some do believe that they had intended Turnow to be their target. Turnow fled to the Winochi Valley Wilderness. When the twins didn't return home, Turnow's sister called the Chehalis County Sheriff, John McKenzie, Chehalis County would later on become Grays Harbor County. A search party of 50 men was assembled to look for the twins. They found them not too long after and brought their bodies back. They had both been shot in the head and their weapons had been taken. McKenzie immediately announced that the shooting had to have been committed by John Turnow and a posse was rounded up to search for him. They took off in pursuit. The men were sure that Turnow was nearby each time they heard the slightest noise in the woods, but they never spotted him. The posse was skittish, terrified of the wild man, and when one group heard a sound in the brush, a shot rang out, killing a cow. The longer they searched and didn't find the eight-man killer, the tales of him grew more and more exaggerated. The wild man of Wanucci, the cougar man, and a mad Daniel Boone are just a few of the names that are used to describe Turnow. As the stories spread to the nearby settlements of Aberdeen, Montesano, Elma, and Hoquiam, no one felt safe with John Turnow on the prowl. Women and children were encouraged to stay indoors, and men always had a rifle nearby and a dog for protection. As winter moved in, the search party was forced to stay in the lowlands due to deep snows. Tornow, on the other hand, moved to higher ground. He had been known to burglarize cabins and stores for supplies, and around this time he broke into Jackson's County grocery store. While he normally took food and supplies for survival, this time he found a lockbox containing $15,000. The store had also served as the town's bank. Chehalis County offered a $1,000 reward for the return of the stolen money. This inspired even more people to join the hunt for Turnow, even though they were incredibly scared of him. On February 20th, 1912, a trigger-happy hunter killed a 17-year-old boy after mistaking him for Turnow. Later that month, trapper Louis Blair and his partner came across a sign of Turnow, a a carcass of an elk in the Oxbow County north of Montesano. Sheriff McKenzie and Deputy Game Warden Albert V. Elmer headed out to investigate. They worked over the territory for days, bringing a bloodhound with them. They found only a cold campfire. They they thought Tornow might have buried the money at this site, but digging around only revealed two coins. Two gold coins. Sometime later, both Sheriff McKenzie and Warden Elmer went missing, and the reward was increased to $2,000. On March 9th, the dog walked into the camp alone, or into a camp, alone. A posse found the missing men only after a deputy sheriff stepped on a shallow mound of earth in the woods, dug down a bit, and saw Elmer's upturned face. Both men had been shot in the eyes, or shot between the eyes, and stabbed. Tornow was spied here and there, but managed to evade capture. On April 16th, Deputy Giles Quimby, along with two other men by the names of Louis Blair, 
and Charlie Lathrop came came upon a small shack made of bark. Quimby wanted to head back for a posse, but the other two weren't happy at the idea of having to share the reward money. They decided to approach the dwelling. A shot rang out and Blair fell into the nearby bushes. Lathrop returned fire but was immediately hit in the neck, killing him instantly. Quimby was left alone in one final standoff with this beast man of legend. Quimby desperately tried to negotiate with Tornow, telling him that all he wanted was the strongbox and promising to let the wanted man go free. It's buried, Tornow sh shouted in response. Quimby tried again. He insisted that he only wanted the money and that he would leave Tornow alone. Tornow answered the deputy by stating, It's buried in Oxbow, by the boulder that looks like a fish's fin. Take it and leave me alone. Quimby then opened fire into Tornow's hiding spot. No gunfire was returned, but Quimby thought that he might be playing dead, so he hightailed it out of there and headed back to town. Quimby returned to Montesano, and Sheriff Matthews gathered up a posse, and the men began to trick back to the spot. When they arrived, they found the body of John Tornow laying dead, propped against a tree. He was dressed in clothing, patched with sacks, and stuffed with evergreen needles for insulation. He was also wearing a pair of two small loggers' boots and a black hat that had once belonged to Sheriff McKenzie. The men also found $6.65 in silver coins on his body, identifying some of them as taken from Jackson's grocery store. Inside Tornow's shelter, they found a blanket and two quilts on the bed, as well as some cooking utensils, all evidence that he had either raided nearby homesteads or received assistance from sympathetic locals. He had survived mainly on a diet of elk meat and frogs, and legend has it that he would tie frogs to his shelter so when they grew quiet, he knew someone was approaching and he could get the upper hand on him. The Oregonian reported at the time of his death, John Tornow had $1,700 in a Montesano bank, owned real estate in Aberdeen and part of a timber claim in Chehalis, and had no bad habits, having never used tobacco or liquor in any form. He was 32 years old. Before Tornow's body was even returned to Montesano, word had already reached town that the wild man had been killed, and gawkers began lining up and down the street in order to catch a glimpse of the man of legend that had been terrifying the community for the past 18 months. Quimby told newspaper reporters that John Tornow had the most horrible face I ever saw, the shaggy beard and long hair, out of which gleamed two shining, murderous eyes, haunts me now. I could only see his face as he uncovered himself to fire a shot, and all that hatred all the hatred that could fire the soul of a human being was evident. This only fueled people's desire to peek at the face of so-called evil even more. Tornow's brother, Fred, tried to prevent the body's public display. However, 250 gawkers stormed the tiny morgue, demanding to see the body, and the overwhelmed coroner allowed them inside. Fully 650 people passed through the room where the gaunt figure lay within a space of 30 minutes, reported... Portland's morning Oregonian, 30 deputy sheriffs forced the crowd to move in single file and prevented, by force, their tearing of bits of the ragged clothing from the corpse, cutting off locks of hair or whiskers, and cutting off pieces from the table where the cadaver lay. Fearing that those were unable to view the body at the morgue would appear at the funeral, his service was held at his family's old homestead. The funeral was held in the early morning, and sentries were posted at his grave around the clock to try to deter any people who were unable to see his body. The same day as his funeral, postcards featuring a photo of his dead body were put into production. Fred Tornow would, when questioned by the press, say, I am glad John is dead. It is the best way, and now that it is over, and I would rather see him killed outright than linger in a prison cell. 
Quimby was proclaimed a hero for finally killing the feared wild man and even receiving offers to appear on stage to tell the tale of his gruesome tale, which he turned down. It was more than a year later that he finally received one-third of the reward money. Lathrop and Blair relatives received nothing. Quimby went looking for the boulder that looked like a fish's fin and was delighted when he found it. He, however, did not find the strong box. Numerous other men followed in his footsteps looking all over Oxbow, Washington, but the $15,000 treasure was never found. The money is thought to be buried on the Winucci River, where it turns into a large, horseshoe-shaped creek. However, a dam has been built upstream, which may have, may have caused a change in the river's flow. More than 300 people attended a dedication of the new memorial tombstone to Turnow in 1988. He is buried next to his parents and a few feet from the Bower Twins. His tombstone reads, From Loner to Outcast to Fugitive. In April 2013, ten years or 100 years after Turnow's death, a memorial was erected at the Tornow Lake campsite to honor the six victims alleged to be, have been killed by Tornow. While it's really likely that Tornow was responsible for the deaths of his nephews, no jury or trial decided this. It was decided by the town that it must have been committed by the weird outsider of the town. While I don't condone Tornow's actions, it's hard not to feel sympathetic for a man that just wanted to be left alone in the wilderness that he loved. I wasn't really jokey in this episode because this story really does just, like, it's just a sad story. You know, it's sad all around. There's, like, no winners, really. Sorry that this was kind of a bummer, <laughs> but thank you so much for listening to Pacific North Weird, and get out and try to explore nature this week. There just might be some treasure in it for you.